Now it's time for News with My Dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. In the studio, live on the telephone line, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? I'm missing being in the studio. This is a show we talk about the news. The studio is missing you. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout-out? Well, I have a shout-out, but it sounds to me like the news I just got is a shout-out that I hadn't written down, and that is before I go to the shout-out I planned, do I understand that we should shout-out twice for the Supreme Court? Once. I think we should shout-out once and not the other time. Okay, go for it. Tell, tell us exactly what they've done. Well, I haven't read the opinions yet, but here's what we know. First, the Supreme Court has blocked Congress from getting Trump's financial records. Okay, so this is the present personal lawyers working against uh, House Democrats who are requesting Trump's longtime accounting firm records and records from two banks. Uh, they argue they were seeking records from Mazars USA, Deutsche Bank, and Capital One in order to investigate whether Congress should amend federal conflict of interest and financial disclosure laws, as well as some bank regulating laws. Lawyers for the House stressed that the subpoenas are directed at third parties, not the president, said the documents were unrelated to his physical, excuse me, to his official duties. Uh, Trump argued there was no valid legislative purpose, and instead that the House was engaging in a fishing expedition to see if he broke the law. Uh, the uh, what the ruling that they made, uh, Justice Roberts asked the lawyer about the limits of congressional powers, suggests the House needed to take into consideration the fact the subpoenas were involved was not an ordinary litigant but the president. Liberal justices pounced on lawyers for Trump. Uh, the, but they did rule that Trump was not immune from New York's subpoena, and that is the piece. The, that 7-2 opinion was written by uh, Chief Justice Roberts. This is we reaffirm. This is just minutes ago. I mean, this is this is brand spanking new information. This isn't last night. This isn't you know. This is it's what ten thirty uh, on the East Coast right now. So jo- Justice Ron- John Roberts wrote the opinion. He said we reaffirm the principle today that the president is neither absolutely immune from state criminal subpoena seeking his private papers nor entitled to a heightened standard of need. So what they said was, and how he tried to split that was not to let con- not let Congress get the documents, but to allow New York District Attorney Cyrus Vance, who had served a subpoena on Mazars USA for his tax returns as part of investigation into hush money payments into two women with whom the president has allegedly had extra extramarital affairs. Uh, what we don't know is when they will be required to happen. And I haven't looked at that. We might have to get to other topics while I have a chance to read some more. If people, if other people want to ask questions about it, I can try to ask those specific questions. If people want to text in, 971-220-5979. You can also share with us additional information. So there's a bunch I don't know, but that's what I do know. What, w- what was the vote? Uh, for that main opinion, 7-2, to two, uh, Justice Ali- I think it was just Alito and Justice Thomas dissenting. Yeah, you, yeah, those those would be the ones you'd figure. They're 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 the biggest toadies for DDT. So that's the that's the news. It, I will acknowledge it is. Uh, they did what I expected on Congress, but I was more pessimistic than what happened with respect to uh, the district attorney's office. 
as, as you know, my, my big concern. We got a question, can Trump change the Manhattan D, uh, district attorney? Uh, and who is it? The district attorney of Manhattan is Cyrus Vance. And no, that's not up to the president of the United States. The president of the United States can, and this is actually helpful for people to understand. So district attorneys, right, we just got a new one, Mike Schmidt in Multnomah County. Uh, they tend to be elected, and they tend to be elected by the residents of the district. The, uh, there are also U.S. attorneys, like you heard about the, uh, the Southern District of New York. They are appointed by the attorney general, and the attorney general is appointed by the president. Uh, the, and so the president can touch, uh, can touch uh, U.S. attorneys. Uh, but Actually, I need to make a correction. Okay. I do. I do believe that U.S. attorneys are, direct, are all oh, nominated by the president. The president himself, excuse me, and overseen by the Department of Justice, overseen right. by the uh, by the Attorney General. So, uh, so anyway, Dad, that's the news. What are your reflections? What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, half a loaf is better than none. And Cyrus Vance, I think Cyrus Vance can be trusted to run this to the ground what will be interesting well since since it's the bank ddt is not going to be able to stop the bank from turning it over i think i mean we'll see what we'll see what happens next uh i mean like he does have he is commander-in-chief he does have the military right so it, it does come a question and i and i don't say that to be alarmist i mean it does uh, there does come a point when we wrestle with the same thing the country was wrestling with during uh, the Nixon administration, which is to what degree is the president above the law? And this was the line that was said over and over again during impeachment proceedings. And, and sometimes it almost felt like pablum. But in, in a circumstance like this, it will exactly be that question, sort of like when the Supreme Court before ruled that Nixon had to release his tapes. Now there aren't tapes or if there are tapes, nobody knows about them. But there are tax returns. There are financial records, financial records that will indicate that will get to the bottom of the degree of money laundering and hush money that has been getting engaged, uh, getting engaged in. It may be limited in scope. The grand jury investigation, Cyrus Vance's investigation might be limited in scope just to the hush money payments, just for those. So the difference between Congress getting the records and the attorney getting the records is there could still be a. Uh, there could still be a motion to seal those because you know, they're going to send them back to the lower court. There could still be a motion to seal those records away from public eyes and only be allowed to see those things and only release that information necessary to the very specific investigation, very specific indictment, very specific charges uh, being investigated by and being laid out by the district attorney of, of um, district attorney of New York. But if there is uh, versus if Congress got them, they became a public record. People could look at them and then look in. Oh, wait a minute. It's not just about hush money for a couple of people. Uh, the, what's been going on with Deutsche Bank is a longtime pattern of money laundering, of secret money that Donald Trump, by the way, is just one significant example. He happens to, he happens to have control of a nuclear arsenal, so it's the most important example. But this is one of the, one of the biggest things been happening in the global economy and go, with global crime and undermining global democracy for a couple of decades. It's been getting bigger and bigger, and, it, and Washington, D.C. and New York law firms are awash in this kind of money. And it's one of the reasons why it's so hard to regulate is because so often those are the very people who are asked by regulators how should stuff be dealt with. So I am hopeful that in all of this, there will be some prying open of this information to help there be an awakening of what's been going on with secret money in the world. And it won't just be about a couple hush money payments, but that, of course, will, as you like to say, we will see. And 
relevant to this whole thing, a couple of things. Mary Trump's book, which really has no surprises but lots of confirmations, but it really underlines the need to take a really, for some potential prosecutor, to take a hard look at appraisals that that Trump made where he would appraise things very expensive when he was getting a loan, appraise things for very inexpensive when he was paying his taxes. There's just it's just something that screams out for that to be examined. And the guy who said he was going to drain the swamp, there are at least eight lobbyists working on his campaign whose firms collectively took in $120 million since 2016 for lobbying. Oh, yes drain the swamp. Well, anyway, I now I should I should give my I want to say I want to say one thing, Bob, cuz this is and this is to yeah, this is something I want to say to our community, to our listeners that when we get this news, it's based on something you just said about Mary Trump's book. Well, not a lot of surprises, but a lot of confirmations. See, we know who this guy is, and we've known who this guy is for a long time. And part of the challenge of news is it's right embedded in the word, is it wants to share what's new. And the hope is, well, maybe there'll be some new information that is shared, that shows everybody who's this guy, who this guy is, and everybody will get to know. At this point, the question is not, in my mind, primarily a question of information. We are not dealing with much of a mystery or a puzzle here, neither a thing that is lacking of information nor information that we can't piece together. What you just said, the New York Times has reported on before Mary Trump's book. I mean, there absolutely has been uh, reported repeatedly a track record of fraudulent appraisals of properties to avoid federal taxes and state taxes. Like this is something that is known. The money laundering relationships are something that is known, reported heck by like northern European news agencies that what is happening now, what the country needs now is an application of will and an application of power. Power by secular power, power by uh, law enforcement that uh, to actually address white-collar crime and not only put brown people in jail because of minor property crimes, uh, but actually deal with the power of the state. And then the second is the willpower, the willpower of the American voter to make a change of leadership, potentially the willpower of a United States Senate to be willing to convict a president who is guilty of crimes. And that's where the additional information could be useful, as if there were additional information that gin people up enough, there could be additional hearings and might convince finally uh, some number of Republicans that they should not be uh, have this albatross around their neck. Uh, but anyway, m- but much of what I think we face now is not a question of information, but a question of will. Let's give your shout out. My shout out this morning is for Carmelo Anthony of the Portland Trailblazers, who was given the privilege, ability to serve as the guest editor for the July 4th issue of the Slam magazine, which is dedicated to basketball and civil rights and justice. And he has really produced a remarkable thing where he got he got uh, significant essays from Bill Russell, Oscar Robertson, Steve Jackson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a whole bunch of others. And 
I, I didn't know about Carmelo that he was has been a leader in this area, and I'm just shouting out for what Carmelo is not doing and what he has done. All right, Dad. Well, before and, and before before we dive into the news, there are just some passings that before I we've been we, we we've been diving into news for like sixteen minutes. And the uh, the some passings. Emma Sanders, who was one of the nineteen sixty four Freedom Party people, who came to to the Democratic National Convention, passed away at ninety one. Great civil rights leader, Charlie De- Charlie Daniels, the singer. The, 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 83 gone, and Hugh Downs gone at 99. And then want to let our listeners be aware that if you like to get up early in the morning, tomorrow morning, if the sky is clear, Venus will be at its brightest for, as the, the brightest has been for years or will be for years. And so you might want to get up and take a look at the morning star. Carmelo Anthony did list the six teams whose names need to get changed. Uh, the Washington football team, the Kansas City football team, the Atlanta baseball team, uh, the Cleveland baseball team, the Chicago hockey team, uh, and one that hadn't occurred to me sufficiently, uh, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, the, uh, the Chicago hockey team, Chicago Blackhawks, have already announced that they are not at this point going to change the name. That doesn't mean there might not still be pressure applied, but they have said they're not going to change their name because it was named after a specific person and they view it as an honor rather than a uh, rather than disrespect that was and the I thoroughly I thoroughly agree with that I agree with that I don't. and I I think a good case can be made for the chiefs and a good case can be made for the warriors sort, sort of I like don't. the vikings but but the redskins you can't make a case for the Redskins. The Washington football team, I, I'm trying to even discipline myself away from saying the name. But I, I say, unless you've got buy-in from the Native American community, I don't, think you can take an, I don't think you can take a name appropriating their stuff. I just don't. I, it's, it's not. If all you're doing is profiting off of, uh, off of a, an oppressed likeness and you have, no, you have no mutuality there, you have no engagement that is meaningful, you have no shared ownership, nothing, then, then it's not fair and it's, set, and it's borderline oppressive. And so it wouldn't have, you know, for my sort of privileged perch, I wouldn't have thought initially about the Golden State Warriors. And, and I, if I were sitting around a bunch of white friends, I might say, oh, yeah, that black guy that was a pretty cool guy. There was, there was a, I think it was a platoon in World War II named after him, and that's, where they, that's what inspired the name of the hockey team. Well, that's kind of a good story. But unless I had buy-in on that story, from from native peoples unless there was some shared you know unless they were in on the joke and there was some shared ownership there then and particularly native people's like no that's just that's not cool i think i gotta i gotta i gotta side with the indigenous peoples of the country man we, we need to hear from them all right pop well we now know that the other big thing, the other, there's a lot of big things that are going on right now, and we do need to talk about local stuff, and I want to get to that right after the break, so be ready. I do want to, though, talk about the White House is trying to push reopening of schools. And yeah, there's a whole bunch to talk about COVID, and opening of schools is one of the things we've got to talk about, and there's just, there's just a raft of stuff. And then I, then, then I want to editorialize a little. On what? On COVID. So... Vice President Pence couched guidance from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, on how to safely reopen schools. They issued some guidelines 
basically should have suggested they shouldn't open schools. And they were going to change the guidelines. I think they're going to change the guidelines again. And it said, none of the CDC recommendations are intended to replace state and local rules and guidance. That's the quote from the vice, current vice president. Uh, the uh, Trump called the guidelines impractical and expensive. In a tweet, he vaguely threatened to cut off federal funding if schools do not reopen. Pence walked back his statement and assured reporters that the White House will be very respectful of communities that can fully reopen. The decision to reopen schools is, again, not to be made by the president. The president doesn't control the schools. It's to be made by thousands of local and state school leaders. Schools receive a little less than 10% of their funding from federal dollars, uh, and Congress has the decision, has the power to direct that education funding. That's not up to the president. Uh, Congress has set aside roughly $13 billion for schools as a part of the CARES Act. Now, the uh, the insight... Exactly, exactly. That, that is all true under the law, but the president has the power to tell the Secretary of Treasury, don't, don't cut release the, the CARES checks. money. And if he did that, the only recourse would be impeachment. What's going on here, as I look at it, is that the key to opening up the economy. So again, just think about this, that Trump's primary interests are power, fame, and greed. I don't know in what order. And all of those things, all of those things depend on the wealthy of the country earning more profits. All of those things determine his power. His only argument for re-election will be if there is an economic recovery in the next five months. That's, that's his big play. Either that or manipulating the results of the election. Otherwise, this guy's getting beat bad. And if he... Uh, and the key to reopening the economy is getting kids back to school. And I'll explain. Because if kids are home, then parents need to be home. Uh, if all the kids are at school, then, you know, that'll be a signal that business should be open also, but it also mean that so many families don't have to be home caring for their younger children uh, or even providing homeschooling for them. It is thin thinking. It fails to consider any number of things, including that a lot of parents aren't prepared to, uh, to excuse me, a lot of schools aren't prepared to deal with socially distanced uh, school rules, etc. But that's a lot of what's going on. But Dad, what else on uh, what else on COVID nineteen is important news other well, than well, we well, got well, another well, fifty five thousand cases? Specifically on the school thing, Trump Trump demonstrating his incredible ignorance says, "Look how Scandinavia has has managed to open up." Clearly, not knowing that the total the total cases for Scandinavia. There was five five hundred for all of Scandinavia, four Scandinavian countries with a hundred better than a hundred million dollar hundred million population rather, as compared to more than fifty thousand a day, for us just just in one day with a population of three hundred thirty five million dollars, and when while we're talking about that by the way, Sweden gambled with not closing down didn't work very well because they've had 12 times the number of cases Norway, seven times the number of Finland, Finland, six times the number of Denmark, and their economy hasn't done any better. So, so that's just worth throwing in there. Canada is 80% of Canadians want to keep the border closed because Canada has done so much better, and Trudeau sort of twitted 
DDT uh, saying that how much better they've done than, quote, our neighbors. Locally, oh, another side thing that the virus is causing is, is apparently a big increase once again in opioid deaths. People home, nothing else to do, so they're killing themselves with opioids. Umatilla County in Oregon has had a huge spike, my old hometown. Wow. Testing shortage. There's a, The test shortages showed up again. PPE shortages are showing up again. The uh, masks shortage are showing up again. The Atlanta mayor and her husband both tested positive. Bolsonaro, the boss in Brazil, tested positive. Something that is kind of scary to me, the Sheridan Detention Center, the federal prison in Oregon, Sheridan, has showed up with a case. One case. Well, that's not a big deal. Well, San Quentin had zero cases, and then there were some prisoners from other prisons transferred into San Quentin, and San Quentin now has over 600 cases. Whoa. There is a, there is evidence apparently that supposedly mild cases of the virus may produce permanent brain damage. The uh, I got a break in there. The Spanish flu apparently there was a significant increase in the 1920s, right after the Spanish flu of 1918, uh, that uh, there was a significant increase in neurological problems among people. People who got the Spanish flu didn't die from it. It wasn't a free lunch. So it's not like going to get the chicken pox, and you'll never get the chicken pox again. First of all, we don't know the, le- the degree of immunity getting it is going to give you. Second of all, we don't know what other problems it's going to cause. Even if you're able to do 100 push-ups and 100 sit-ups, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get brain damage from catching this thing. So be careful out there. Yale study, Yale University, you, there says that symptomatic, pre-symptomatic people may be the most likely spreaders. And that's that is really scary. So people who have no wrong with them could be the ones who are well, most sure. dangerous to be around. The because uh, there's growing evidence, there's growing indication that it's airborne. There's growing indication that the reason why bars, if you, if you saw that like ten point scale, one is safest, ten is most dangerous. I mean, it was made only went to nine, and bars were almost like the very top of that scale of the things that were most dangerous. And uh, whereas being outside, like tennis was like number two, it was like one of the safest things. Because as far as we can tell, being out, and like we haven't seen any indication that protests have have indicated spikes where you're outside. We have seen indication that, and now we just saw that the Tulsa rally inside what does appear to be the a triggering cause of, of an outbreak in Tulsa. So all of that gives us more indications that if you have air that stews around and travels around. That's how you get it. By the way, that can happen in a prison for sure. That can happen in your household for sure. Less likely to happen outside. Uh, go on, Dad. The, some side effects. The uh, the war against plastic bags is sort of... Well, hold on. We, we got to do your editorializing, and then we're going to break. Okay, well, what, what, why, don't you, why don't you go ahead and... After the break, we're talking about local news. All right. Well, then, let me just say, a real concern that I have is what you mentioned that we don't know if getting it produces immunity. And the reason that is so significant, significant, if it doesn't, 
we really could be seeing the beginning of the end of modern civilization because if getting it doesn't produce immunity so you get it and maybe you have a mild case this time but then you get it again and is it such a mild case but sooner or later everybody gets it and after everybody gets it then everybody gets it again and then everybody gets it again and and a certain percentage every time die and a certain percentage every time every time has brain damage this this is a really so your ed- your editorials we're all going to die that's your editorializing this is a really well i'm just saying until we know until we know whether or not getting it gives you immunity for the rest of your life for pretty much the rest of your life as measles does and chickenpox does and whooping cough does we yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pile on to the alarmism of the fall of Western civilization, or the fall of global civilization. I will say that this might be with us for a while. I do think that it's. Uh, if I were gonna bet, I would think that we will be able to come up with a vaccine. But it might be that it only provides somewhat. It provides a measure of resistance, which isn't the same thing as immunity. Uh, and it might mean that one could still get it, and so we'll always have to be careful. And it might mean something for shaking hands and kissing babies for politicians in the future. might mean more Zoom calls for the future. And but I'm not giving up on humanity yet. wearing masks forever. All right. <laughs> the, we, we'll be right back. I just want to mention things that we've lost. Oh. The Ryder Cup is postponed. No, Dad, 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 Dad i gotta, I got I to gotta go to break, and then we're going to talk about local news. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to X-Ray. Thanks for doing that. It is news with my dad. And at this very moment, well, I guess I should say it'll start, what, in like an hour. The state legislature is taking testimony, invited testimony, about police accountability and transparency and use of force. They got done some bills in the last special session. It looks like there might be another special session coming up. We talked to Representative Marty Wilde on one of those topics that hasn't been on the agenda of the legislature, but has been on the agenda of activists. And that is the degree to which police officers, like doctors are, should be responsible personally if they cause harm outside the lines of their standards, their practices, and outside the lines of the law. Dad, that is about qualified immunity and whether there should be a change to qualified immunity in Oregon, which right now has basically evolved to mean if a police officer does something while wearing a uniform, they can't get sued for it. What are your thoughts on changing qualified immunity in Oregon? Well, th- this is something I have expressed an opinion on several times uh, in the past, that, that one of the things we need to be able to do, you, you need to be able to do is to hold a police officer who is guilty of misconduct resulting in injury to a private citizen ought to be liable, should not be indemnified by the city or by the sheriff's office, by the county or state police, by the state. And and that awareness has got to be a certain break on that sort of misconduct. Now, the curious thing is, and this is something that I'm going to rely on you as my constitutional scholar, the Supreme Court sort of created the uh, the doctrine of qualified in fact they did they really created it in a, uh, an opinion some 35 year or so years ago 
and I, for some reason, had thought that they'd done it on constitutional grounds, but from listening to your interview this morning, apparently it's not on constitutional grounds because the state could eliminate qualified immunity, according to what I heard, in state courts, so it would only still be effective in Oregon in federal courts, which must mean it's not a federal constitutional decision, but something else. Educate me. You you ask to take a course that I have not offered. Uh, the uh, I do believe it is a common law concern. I don't. Those words certainly aren't in the Constitution. I do believe it comes from common law, and therefore something that comes from common law, uh, unless it's given a constitutional tether, uh, can in fact be changed by uh, democracy law. Can in fact be changed by something that a legislature will do, uh, and that's why I think that the uh, Representative Wildey is on. Uh, relatively firm footing in his, uh, constitutionally speaking, legally speaking, in pushing to reform that and to define what qualified immunity does and doesn't do and to what extent it applies. Uh, I do believe it will be more of a political question whether the uh, police association, which came out last night, there's another thing I want to ask you about, and I don't know how, uh, I'm hoping that you're uh, up on this as well, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but the Daryl Turner got out, the head of the police union, who I know, uh, came out and said there was a unanimous vote of no confidence by the executive board of the police association, Portland's police union, a vote of no council. confidence on the city council. I do think this is going to be more of a political question, and the question is if the elected officials are in conflict with the police, now, the police is waging some conflict against not only uh, ne'er-do-well fringe element protesters or maybe protests at large is the greater concern. Representative Wildey put it, uh, put it right. Are they there to, uh, are, do they think they're protecting, are they trying to stop uh, excesses of protests? Are they thinking the protests themselves are the problem? Are they here to protect or are they here to control that essential question also borrowing from Representative Wildey, which I appreciated that uh, stated dichotomy. But I believe this will be a political question at what degree, if the elected representatives and police officers are in conflict, how are the elected officials in Salem going to respond? I think that's the bigger question. But, Dad, yeah, yesterday Daryl Turner came out, gave his press conference. Explain more and offer your thoughts. Well, First, I have to say that I that I very much sympathize with the police in the problem that they have with bad actors, bad actors who who are really trying to co-opt the legitimate protests about prejudice, about about racism, and and use it as an excuse to break things and to steal things and, and that that I distinctly believe is not because those first people who are doing the breaking and the looting are great protesters against racial injustice. It is because they somehow get off on breaking things and stealing things. And and uh, how we deal with that, what, what, one way we may have to deal with that is, is that... Uh, protest organizers maybe need to include trying to enlist some of the protest marchers to help protect against those those 
what I don't know what word I want to use to describe, but but uh, and and by the way, almost exclusively the the breakers almost exclusively are white, and they are young, and and I think they're just anarchists who are using it as an excuse. They they want to break things. So I have some sympathy for the police there. I do not have sympathy for the individual policeman who does something which is clearly out of bounds and for which he or she ought to be held accountable. The the question I have is, will the press, and is the press starting to turn against the protests, and what impact will that have? It's one of the reasons why I've been urging the fierce urgency of now when it comes to policymaking. Because the wind has been at the back of people who want to change things. They have had the they have had the tide. They have had the political capital. They have had the public conversation acknowledging the critical need to do a greater do a better job at protecting black lives and how that and how that concern interfaces with our with how we do public safety and how we do first response. Uh, it's also one, a challenge. The, the the tear gas debate is very significant. What what do you do when people start throwing bricks and start throwing bottles with water in them that the really really can injure injure and and there's just no excuse for that it's just not okay well here's here's what I'll go and I and I recognize there this gets into your sort of triggers you to into get off my lawn territory but I uh, but here's my counter my counter is that it if you watch the uh, if you watch the protests downtown, and if you see when as it gets later into the night, and and maybe police officers start a rush, and maybe they do some use some gas, maybe use some rubber bullets, uh, and and if you follow the reporting of you know like a right wing journalist, you follow the reporting of like Andy Andy No, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his his last name right, uh, who who is wanting to trump up and say and wanting to fa- wanting to. Uh, wanting to frame the battle, frame the debate as police officers versus looters. That's how they want to frame it. That's how the, that's how the president of the United States wants to frame the debate. That's how the police union wants to frame the debate. What's really going on, this, this is between, uh, it's police officers versus looters. In fact, not only that, it's the regular, it's all the citizenry, it's all the people of the community, it's Portland itself. It's Portland versus looters. That's the debate. I think that is not the most important debate. I think that's not the most important challenge, the most important conflict. I think the most important debate is how should we engage in first response and policing? And those are different and related things because if you show up, like think about what it's going to take. If you show, if you send out some people who are dressed in armament and who look like characters from RoboCop and you know they they've been they've through procurement practices they've been sold this stuff and I'm not try, even trying to pick on a particular police officer to be sure but you set that out there and it gets later at night that de-escalates nothing that de-escalates nothing in fact it escalates stuff and to me it strengthens the argument it strengthens the argument of rethinking how we do first response so that we don't respond to every problem just with a gun or a fire hose because most of the problems that we face in first response. Most of the calls that come to 911, most of the challenges that in order to protect the community aren't a house fire or somebody needs to get shot or somebody gets hit with a billy club or sprayed with tear gas. So I I, I do worry. I, I do think that, and I, I noticed that as soon as Rose City Justice split up, 
the narrative and, in fact, the conduct around the protest changed. It made me worried. The same time, in, in the same way I was worried when we were talking to Greg McKelvey four years ago. All right, is the same is the same thing that I do worry. Where I share your concern is I do worry that there, and I know that this happens. I know that it happened with SNCC. I know that it happened with the uh, with the nonviolent uh, organizing efforts in the Vietnam era where there was infiltration there to discredit it. We know that happened with the weathermen. We know that it, that one of the tools that power has had over the last 50 years is to discredit, is to reduce the credibility and moral authority of righteous protests. That that is one of the main moves you can use in order to preserve the status quo. I share that concern. And that's why I put the question as, will the press take the bait? I don't want to take the bait because I don't think the biggest problem is some broken windows. I, I'm not wanting people to break windows. I think it's stupid. I'm not wanting people to spray paint stuff. I don't, I, I don't know who's doing it when they're wearing a mask. Maybe they're doing it to protect themselves from COVID or maybe they're doing it because they're infiltrating something. But I don't think that a couple broken windows is the more important question, not even borderline the most important question. What you have to recognize, it's not the matter of the press, quote, taking the bait. It is playing in to the press. The, the, the biggest press organization in the country, Fox News, and all of their fellow travelers, who every single night cover the protests as if that was all about breaking windows and about throwing bricks. Right, but we weigh into that. But you, and, in your, in your, and, and it, when, what you when, chose when, to when do. When that happens, when that happens, that's that what enables the the uh, substantial portion of the public not to recognize the significance and the need for the legitimate protests. So I hear what Somehow you're saying. Somehow we have to deal with that, and I agree. I agree that coming dressed like a a medieval warrior may be the wrong thing to do, but at the same time, what do you expect a police man or a police woman to do when they are facing folks who start throwing bricks if they're not allowed to wear something that protects them from getting really Dad, badly Dad, with respect, you're not out there, and I'm glad you're not out there because I don't want you to catch a disease and I don't want anybody to hit you with anything, whether it's tear gas or something flying through the air. But it's but as I've been and I and because I'm essential personnel here, I'm not out there either. And so I want to offer some humility. I also want to offer some empathy. I hear where you're coming from. And I recognize that you want to make sure that you uh, you want to make sure that the focus stays where the focus ought to be. And you worry that the focus is going to be changed by folks who are trying to co-opt the protest. We got a text in that worries that that, and it is legitimate and I appreciate the text, that that minimizes the presence of black and, and POC protesters. Uh, the uh, and, and I hear where you're coming from. But what I want to say is we, too, have a chance. Like, we, too, are part of the media conversation. We, too, have an opportunity to try to highlight the stuff that is more important. And if in our narratives we start with or we emphasize more uh, the uh, some conduct at a protest that we see as out of line, that is the most important thing that I think we're feeding into. And by the way, I do, I am concerned about a shift of that narrative. I do think that Daryl Turner sees that potential shift of narrative, and that's why he chose yesterday to stand up and, and give his press conference. I do see a, a worry of that shift in narrative as I see the Portland Tribune issue its story, I think it was early this week or late last week, saying, oh, here's how much the protests have cost. I understand the arguments that happen to try to minimize and to try to discredit people who are trying to stand up for greater justice in the world, and those things do concern me, but we too can weigh in on that conversation. And where I, where I want to be, and where I hope we will be, is in the 
uh, is focusing attention on the bigger moral question. And the bigger moral question is how do we deal with a country that has still not come to grips with the fact that we enslaved people for centuries, that we built wealth for white people on the backs of black people, that we destroyed indigenous communities, and that we too often are blithely unaware. We acknowledge it when it's forced upon us to acknowledge it, and otherwise we don't. And it is so comfortable for us. And I, this is not, my anger is not directed at you, to be clear. I don't even call it anger. I want to call it righteous indignation. It's not directed at you. I love you very much. But it is so tempting for us of privilege. It is so tempting to be able to pivot away from the place of our discomfort. And the place of our discomfort is that we stand on, we stand on top of dead bodies in wealth and pleasure. And it, is, and it is painful and guilty for us to think about that. And it is so much easier to think, ah, that person shouldn't have broken a window. And what I'm saying is that can't, we, we have got to do, there, there ought to be, like, we need, we should be, uh, the, the, the protesters should be policing themselves. The protesters should be making sure that they are showing the kind of leadership that makes more and more people want to follow them. But I got to leave that to them. I've got to decide how I can use my voice. And my voice has got to be aimed at white people to say, hey, folks, there's the bigger issue here is how do we deal with the biggest moral question? Because the only way to stand up, if you, if you celebrate Fourth of July, the only way to celebrate Fourth of July is to treat our country as a story of redemption. We have to get better. And the way to get better is not merely to control people who break things. The way to get better is to be morally better and less oppressive. I got kind of fired up. I think Dad might have hung up on me. You, you spoke so, so softly that I couldn't hear what you said. I, I said maybe you hung up on me. <laughs> I said I got kind of fired up. I did not hang up on you. I, I just got to say I think that you are not recognizing a an uncomfortable reality. And the uncomfortable reality is that as long as there are folks who are using the legitimate protests as a vehicle for venting their disposition to break things and to hurt things and to to attack things physically the reality is that you cannot escape that is where attention is going to focus especially attention is going to focus by the forces that do not want to recognize the injustices, who do not want to deal with the injustices, and therefore we do have to significantly address that fact, because if you don't, the, uh, the reality is out there that that attention is going to be subtracted, detracted away from what it really is all about, and that is for recognizing and addressing the injustice that started 400 years ago when the first slave ship landed on the Atlantic coast. We got text in. What uh, Jefferson, please share that last rant in a clip. Uh, thanks from John. Uh, we got another. I agree with your dad, Jefferson. I come from a time when you had respect for property and others. I have no respect for this movement. They lost me when they began tearing up our city. Another one says, preach it, Jeff. I, this is why we're both on the show. We, we come from different perspectives. We agree on so very, very much, but occasionally we come from a little bit, uh, a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit different perspectives, and we appreciate that. Uh, the uh, 
Dad, we have time for a couple more stories before Straw in the Wind. And then a little bit later, we're going to be talking to uh, to hijinks, talking to a local comedian who I, I want to actually talk about about what we might do on X-ray. And we can talk about him in a little bit. We, he was booked for 830. He's, he's waiting patiently now. But, Dad, what do you want to make sure we get to before we set this aside? Well, there's a politics that I just really do want to mention that uh, the encourage and encouraging political news is that the task forces, which uh, were really created by the, the Biden campaign, apparently have been really successful. They, the, what Their results have been praised by Bernie Sanders, been pr- praised by AOC. I want to mention the scurril, absolutely scurrilous, despicable conduct of Tucker Carlson attacking Tammy Duckworth, which, of course, what it means is they really see that Tammy Duckworth is a threat as a vice presidential candidate, where he has said that she hates America. That guy is just such a horrible human being. I just cannot get over what a horrible human being that he is. The Lincoln Project, Lincoln Project is producing some terrific ads. They've got an ad out there that's going after the senators who supported DDT. Well, boy, no small thing. The Commerce Department IG has said that there's a there's a the Commerce Department is suppressing the support on Sharpie Gate. Those are just things I want people to be aware are going on. And then the state, just some state and local stuff that we should be aware of. Portland is talking seriously about putting on a, a tax for parks. Serious drought in central and eastern Oregon. Multnomah County Library is not going to charge for late books anymore. I have I have real doubts that that's a good decision. They collected over half a million bucks last year in fines. I think that is a mistake. And good news, the at least I hope it's good news. The Historical Society is going to reopen its facility on Sunday. Portland is going to resume homeless camps sweeps. Uh, they will. They've been on hold since March. The sweeps will affect camps with more than eight tents. Uh, city says the sweeps are necessary for public health. Uh, June 26th memo notes the number of large campsites, which is defined as areas with more than 10 tents, has risen from three sites in March to 40 sites now. City officials say they will offer shelter to campers who are caught in the sweeps. Uh, the uh, TriMet is going to close the steel bridge for updates. It's one of the biggest capital improvement projects in a while. That's going to happen from August 2nd to August 29th. We don't always do traffic. When we do traffic, it's structural. Sunday for four weeks. I, I, I put that down to make sure we remind people about that on both the last Thursday in July and the first Monday in August. The steel bridge is sort of Portland's forgotten bridge because the traffic patterns changed. It used to be more used, but now it's a little bit less used because the traffic patterns changed, particularly with the building and the big freeway. Biddick Mansion and the Oregon Historical Museum are, or, are reopening this week. So is the do- zoo. Dad, are you going to go to the zoo or Piddick Mansion or the Oregon Historical Museum? Probably not. They got a baby red panda at the zoo, Pop. Well, the, the, I, I haven't been to the zoo in a long time. Last time I was, boy, when was the last time I was at the zoo? I think the last time I was at the zoo was to hear a, a uh, uh, Joan Baez concert that you, that you, my kids treated me to. 
You said you did, and then you said, well, maybe it was somebody else. It might have been somebody else. I don't know. Uh, gas prices are likely to remain low in Oregon as long as the pandemic persists. On average, gas in Oregon costs 60 cents less per gallon than it did last year. Lower demand for gas means prices will probably stay down. I'm a conspiracy theorist when it comes to gas prices. So I think gases will stay low until and unless the oil industry decides they want to oust Trump. Yep. That's that's how I that's how I think gas prices happen. I think that I think that well anyway I won't go further in, down the road of my tinfoil hatedness when it comes to gas prices. Talk about Trump, by the way. In Iran has indicted Trump and thirty five others. Well, Dad, I think it is time for a straw in the wind. Straw in the wind, and I have more than one straw in the wind. First. First straw in the wind, I hope. Twitch has banned DDT. Gary Larson, far side. First, he's coming back out with cartoons. First time in 25 years. Not so encouraging. Stanford is getting rid of 11 sport programs, including rowing, men's volleyball, other stuff. And serious worry about straw in the wind is the increase in opioid deaths, apparently simply because people are staying home. We got, let's get to, I want to offer this, I think it was important when talking about the police to continue to compare laws to life. George Floyd lost his life over 20 uh, people in our city are being harmed by the police over broken windows and cheap consumer products from overseas. It shows what authority values and why we need to rework the system. Thanks for all the texts. If you want to text in, the text line is 971-220-5979. Dad, I want to say thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for sticking with me, even in the midst of my rant, and I love you very much. Love you, too, and we'll be back on Monday.